Welcome to Screw the Stock Market. On this show, we discuss a variety of alternative asset classes, tools to help you unleash your money, a success mindset, and inspiration to see what's possible when we do things differently. Hi there, thank you so much for tuning into the show. You know, we work really hard to create a lot of content that is educational and informative. And we also want to be the best listeners out there. We want to understand what you are interested in, what kind of investor you are, what your objectives are. And so we've created a survey at screwthestockmarket.com slash survey. And there you'll be able to take the quick survey and we'll be in listening. And that'll help us be able to create better content and we can engage more about how we can help you achieve your goals. So again, screwthestockmarket.com slash survey. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Screw the Stock Market, an immigrant's guide to entrepreneurial investing. So in our last episode, we just added that subtitle to the show to hit it a little bit more on the head that this is who the show is for. It's for immigrants and children of immigrants like Aziz and me. If you happen to not be one of those people, that's okay. We hope that you'll still enjoy the show and, and learn stuff from it. But what do you call it? You just got to like own who you are and that's who we are. Today, we wanted to talk you know, about... You know what I'm, I'm, I'm... Go ahead. No, no, I was going to do a quick comment there. I, I find it funny, Alex, that whenever you're making commentary, somebody pointed out before in one of our other videos, it's, Alex tends to read a lot from a script. I was like, no, he's just robotic like that. <laughs> he's not reading anything. He's read, just, yeah. just a robot when he talks sometimes. <laughs> you, you, you had to phonetically sound out each syllable of the word. Of the whole sentence. This might actually relate to the topic that we're talking about today, which is the <laughs> dilemma that all of us as children of immigrants face is assimilation versus cultural preservation. <laughs> That's what we're talking about today. And so when I make this extra effort to pronounce and to speak slowly and maybe come across as a little robotic, am I assimilating? Really, is that me just making this extra effort to sound professional and to... I don't know. I think it's really me, but yeah, I think it's you. <laughs> that's what we're talking about today. And it is an ever-present struggle for people like Aziz and I who are, we grew up here in the U.S., so we have the American culture in us. And at the same time, we have this, we're taught about the old country. We're, we're taught to, I, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I remember one story that my mom told me. No, I remember it. I remember it, actually growing up eating rice and beans and I didn't like the beans because they made me thirsty. And so I said, Oh, I don't want the beans. And my mom said, if you don't eat beans, then you're not a real Honduran. And I said, I am Honduran, but I don't like beans. And they all laughed like it was the funniest thing in the world. But I felt like this need to try to prove my Hondurenness, even though I hadn't really ever lived in Honduras. And it's just like a funny little story, but it gets back to it. How have you had to deal with this stuff growing up, Aziz? It's a constant basis. My parents always accuse me of becoming too Americanized, like losing contact with your roots and things like that constantly. Even as an adult now, my dad will just throw it out every once in a while when he's mad at me because that's his hill that he'll die on to show that I've disappointed him in the sense that I've neglected my roots and I'm behaving the way I am because I've become too Americanized. 
it really is just that I'm not doing what he wants me to do, really. <laughs> it has nothing to do with any broader context. It's just his, his go-to argument. Yeah, it's a it's everywhere and it's and it, it connects to the professional and financial success that we talk about on this show because there's statistics that talk about how immigrants are more entrepreneurial than the general American public. And I suspect that largely comes down to the fact that immigrants feel that maybe the corporate or professional world isn't for them. They have to do it on their own because they might never get that chance otherwise. You hear so many stories about, you know, lawyers and doctors from other countries coming here and working at some of the lowest end jobs because they're not trusted. And so eventually they have to go out and do it on their own. And so they start businesses instead. And it's not a, an aspect of trust also, I think at least in terms of from my family's uh, experience, it's more so not understanding the system, how things work here, not having the connections. My dad used to be an executive in a corporation when we were back overseas. And then when we came here, he didn't know how do you, know, how do you get around applying to jobs? He didn't have any connections for someone who would pass his resume around. He didn't know how to format his resume. No one would give him any advice in terms of that, in terms of for corporate jobs. All the other people he would meet were in the same you know, boat as he was. So they would just tell him what they did uh, and ended up just getting a job at 7-Eleven and then transitioning from there to working as a bus driver and like that until he retired. But again, not because he wasn't capable of doing, I mean, he speaks like five, six different languages. He's done HR work. He's worked for a multinational company in the past, but none of that was relevant because he just didn't know the system in terms of how to navigate it, how to find a corporate job and how to network with the right type of people that would get his resume in front of somebody. So it's just being blocked out of the the processes and systems because you don't know and you don't have the network. Yeah. And I think at least from my perspective, where I kind of land on this is that, yes, we need to assimilate enough to be able to build those networks, to build those relationships, to build those friendships so that people will give us opportunities, give us those inside tracks, pass the resume along, want to root for us and want to help us to succeed. Because I do believe that's necessary. And then obviously we do want to hold on to, to some of that culture. And even within like European immigrants, right? One of the ones that I've always, uh, I, I've always admired is the um, Italian American immigrants, right? Cause you see someone who's at least in the stereotypes, right? Oh, that guy's Italian. He's, oh yeah. Forget about it or whatever. You see him in the movies and all that stuff. And, but it, it, it's been generations and they still hold on to that Italian-ness to some degree or another, it, it varies. I think part of that is also historical too. Uh, I think like certain groups like the Italians and the Irish were forced to stay within their communities because they were Catholic in a Protestant country. So they were almost seen as um, minorities themselves and blocked out of a lot of different things. So they had to rely on their own communities and create their own like almost mini universe. That's why their cultural standards are a little bit more cohesive. I don't know. I forget the cohesive? losing vocabulary. I can't speak English anymore. <laughs> cohesive. That's a, little more, more. a little bit more cohesive. I know. I think I'm just getting old. <laughs> can't remember anything. But yeah, I think that's why they kept a stronger kind of cultural identity than other groups. I think that happened to every immigrant population, right? Maybe except for the very first few that came in, like maybe, you know, the British or whatever. But like, other than that, every time there was a new wave of immigrants, they were put in this other category. 
And I don't know, the, my, my impression is that the Italian wave was one of the later European ones, European waves of immigration. But it's been a pretty substantial time, at least Godfather Part Two, which talked about when the Corleone family came into the, to the U.S., was like in the 20s. And if that's when the wave was, we should look that up before we publish this episode. Then it's like 100 years and, you know, you still see Italian-American culture keeping some of that Italianness. What else are we talking about? So what other ways, what are some of the benefits of holding on to the cultural, to our, to the old country culture? Because that's one of the other kind of challenges. Because a lot of people might argue, hey, just assimilate, just become American and that's it. No. So the biggest, so I'll, I'm going to go back to a, a study that I read a, a little while ago. I think it was from Freakonomics or something like that, one of those books. But basically, or maybe it was on their podcast, but they were talking about the idea of whether religion makes you happy. And make a long story short, what they did is they tracked different data points and whatnot from different culturally religious groups and communities within the country. And what they inevitably found was that yes, religion makes you happy, but it wasn't because of the faith or any of that aspect, regardless of what religion it was, it was because the community that was built around that faith is what made you happy. Because in terms of financial success, communities support each other better than if you're out there on your own. And as a result of that, you're able to build more wealth faster and become more financially independent and get access to more things. And as a result of that, money is what makes you happy as an extension of community and religion and all those other things. Um, so maintaining that kind of that old country ethnic identity is beneficial in a sense because it creates an instant made community that creates an instance made network of people who have a predisposition to want to help you and succeed and does it always have to be like an ethno or religious-based community? No, not necessarily. You can also create your own community, which is pretty much what you and I have done with all of our other friends and social networks of other people who, like us, are first-generation immigrants or children of immigrants. And we've all bonded and created a community over that identity, regardless of where we've come from. And we've been able to support each other, both in our business endeavors, professional development. I know we're all passing resumes back and forth all the time. We're all investing in each other's endeavors all the time. We wouldn't have been able to do any of this if not for all of our different groups of friends and contacts. So I think having a community group, whether it's ethno-based, religious-based, um, socially-based, is very critical to success. Uh, and entrepreneurship and financial success. I really like that point. I think I, I remember whenever we walk around in the street, I, I always get jealous because you have solidarity, right? And this is one of those funny points for me because look at us. We look pretty different, right? But we're buds. We, we go and we hang out and we walk around. And then there'll just be another black man walking by the street and Aziz and the other guy will meet eyes and then they'll have the respect nod. Not not even necessarily, I don't know if that's a stereotype, but they'll just say, what's up? How you doing? There's just this solidarity and assumed friendship there because you can just look at each other and say, hey, we have this one thing in common at least, and I'm rooting for you and you're rooting for me. And first of all, I don't look super obviously Hispanic. Maybe now a little bit more since I removed the beard, but most Honduran people or, or Central American people look at me and they don't think, hey, that guy's one of us. So I don't have the solidarity just by appearance. 
and I miss it. And <laughs> yeah, you do. Well, hold on, you do. Just not in your home country. Now, if you go to Egypt or India or somewhere like that, you have complete solidarity because they all think that you're one of them, which is, I think, the most hilarious thing ever. We went to Egypt and this man had people coming up and asking him in Arabic for directions every five minutes because he looks like he could be Arab. Yeah, and that's cool. That's a really nice feeling, which is honestly something I had never felt before, before going to Egypt. Walk around the U.S. This is my home. This is, but I didn't necessarily look like the people. And then I walk around in Honduras, same thing. I felt very foreign there. And then the first time in my life walking around in Egypt with a backpack and a big old camera, obviously a tourist, but people just, eh, he's one of us. Eh. And it was cool. It was really nice. I didn't know what they were saying or anything, but it was awesome. It was a nice feeling. Yeah, they ended up thinking he was slow when he couldn't respond. <laughs> I just smile and nod and they're like, oh, come on. So we've talked about some of the, there's one other benefit to keeping our own culture and holding on to that, which is just really fundamental. It's not necessarily a business reason, but it's just a, an identity reason, right? Is to have the connection of this is where I came from. Your culture, you're pretty good about having a, an idea of your lineage. Oh, we come from, this is my father, this is my grandfather. And you go back generations and in Honduras, at least I don't think we have that, right? There, there's not super great record keeping and... A lot of people around the world, I know a lot of the, but I'm always a little bit jealous of the people who do have it, right? They, they can go back, oh yeah, my my ancestors were on the Nina Pinta and the whatever. And it's cool just to, to be able to say, hey, I was connected to this and here I am. And there is a certain part of our identity that needs to know where we come from. And it's valuable in and of itself to just say, to have roots and to know where they are. And so even if it's not specific people, but to be able to say, this is where my people came from and this is what my people have accomplished and these are the things that they've overcome, it's important because we're a continuation of that. And then obviously language and culture helps us to create those same bonds that you were talking about, right? So to be able to have a conversation with my grandmother, it was essential for me to keep the language and to be able to speak to her in Spanish. And same thing for my daughter, I'm really pushing that very hard for her to be able to hold on to that part of her culture because she has her grandparents and it's a huge blessing. Why are you laughing? That's not funny. I think you've over I think you've overcompensated in that sense. She speaks purely Spanish at this point. <laughs> no. You might as well think that she just immigrated over yesterday. She's gonna get English, she'll be fine. But she is getting it. Yeah, she'll be fine yeah. eventually. But yeah, maybe we have overcompensated. Like I'll say like my brother named his daughter the monetary unit of Honduras, which is just a weird name. No Honduran is named that, but he named her. That. It's like naming her like George Washington or something like that. And it's just like pure like pride of Honduras. And similarly, we picked a very kind of traditional Hispanic name, which even like most Hondurans in Honduras wouldn't name their children. These, those names are out of fashion now. And people are... They're like old lady names. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny because I feel like the name we... I love her name, but I feel like it was one where yeah, everyone was a little bit confused. They're like, really? Like, why'd you pick that name? I had to warm up to it. I'm, 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 I'm going to admit, I had to warm up to it at the beginning. Because I remember when we when we talked about it, I was like, why? <laughs> my dad, but then you explained it and I was like, okay, that makes sense. My dad didn't like it. And essentially, her name is Fernanda, which for me is like a very obviously Hispanic name. And then the, the flip side of that is that a lot of the very obviously Hispanic names carry with them a little bit of um, 
I don't know, it sounds bad to say, but like a little bit of a low class kind of stereotype that is attached to them. And that's part, partly, I don't know, that might be just, I don't know how to say it, just like racism. Yeah, that maybe I've even internalized. But Fernanda, for some reason, sounded a little bit regal to me. It sounded like, oh, this is a very Hispanic name, but it's it, it came across as royal. So it was like, okay, a good balance of those two. And then, and it's not a name that she could easily turn into like an American name, like Alex or something like that. Where, So essentially, we picked it. And I'm happy with it. And I've met a few adult Fernandes, and they're all super happy with the name too. So I'm like, okay, I think we're good. Yeah, it's grown on me. I, I definitely I do enjoy it. So I want to just do one referral to a book that I read recently called The Case Against Assimilation. And it's more of a Hispanic-focused book, but it, it can apply to any immigrant culture. And towards the end, I don't know, it happens a lot when I think a book was made from something that probably should have been an article. But I read the book, I read most of it. And towards the end, I was like, okay, you've made your case. I stopped reading it. But the general case of it is just, hey, if we're held this, this carrot in front of our noses saying, if you assimilate, then you'll be good enough. Then you won't have to deal with racism. Then you won't have to deal with discrimination. And the whole book essentially is saying that's all BS. Like it doesn't matter. Unless you like genetically assimilate over generations, we're going to still be discriminated against from that perspective. It's essentially don't bend over backwards to try to please these people who don't like you. And I will say, I'm not a big person who's focused on, hey, discrimination and all this stuff. I know it's real. I know it's out there. And we joked about like technology being, it's not really a joke. It really is. But it's not like a big focus for us. I really try to focus on what we can control and we do our part. But with with that case, I, I felt like after reading it, I was like, okay, yeah, I, I acknowledge that there is discrimination out there. And I think for me, just by the end of it, I was like, okay, yeah, it's real. It's out there. And the whole point is just don't bend over backwards to try to please these people. And the point I wanted to make was that when I, when in one of my networks where there's a bunch of real estate investors, I shared this idea that we had about making our show focused on immigrants. And I remember the, this one person that I talked to and she said, oh, like, why did you use that word immigrants? Isn't that people are going to think about all those, all those people that are coming on the border from Mexico. And she was just very, she didn't think that immigrant, she thought immigrant, like it's a dirty word. Yeah. <laughs> and it had never occurred to me because I say it with pride. I'm like, yeah, my family immigrated here. Yeah, I'm an immigrant. And she, she just had, she just associated it with terrible things, terrorists and drug dealers and rapists. And I was like, oh, okay, no, that's not what was she, was she white. <laughs> You're like, no comment. <laughs> yeah, so that person, this show isn't for them. Obviously, that stuff is out there. But I think for all of us, really, there's always challenges out there. And whatever we're trying to do in life, we focus on what we can control and we put our best foot forward. And I think a big part of that is like really knowing who we are and being ourselves and owning it. And I think that's part of what we're trying to do on the show. And that's part of what every immigrant needs to do is know who we are. We need to assimilate enough to function in society, but then continue to be ourselves and do what we're going to do. Yeah, and I was actually I'm glad you said that last portion because uh, in regards to the book where you're saying like don't assimilate, 
Um, I was going to say, I, I disagree with not at least partially assimilating because again, then you end up with the same problem my parents had where you just don't understand how anything works within society here. You have to have, it's a balance. You have to have a combination of both. A good example is Alex and I had a coworker who refused to assimilate to a corporate culture of our organization. And he could have been very successful, very well-liked guy, but he just kept refusing just out of principle to assimilate to the corporate culture. And as a result of that, he just kept finding obstacles and hurdles and he was just getting angrier and angrier. And it was showing up in his performance reviews. And eventually he ended up having to leave the job. And it was all just out of pure stubbornness and refusal to just even somewhat partially assimilate to the corporate culture. I mean, you don't have to embrace everything, but there are certain things that you pick and choose what you want to take out of any type of environment. Um, and it's just part of being adaptable. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's a very practical thing. And I think just going back to the Hispanic thing from the book, one of the things that I've really recently noticed, it, it took me a long time to figure it out because growing up on the East Coast, most of the immigrants that are Hispanic came a little bit later. We came here, at least in the D.C. area. Most people came in the 80s or 90s that are Hispanic, at least a big chunk of the population came later. Whereas in the West Coast, a lot of those people might have been generations. They, the border crossed them, right? They were sitting there in Mexico. And then one day they're like, okay, now I guess we're in the United States. They got absorbed. Yeah. And so there's people who've been Hispanic of Mexican descent in these places like Texas or Mexico for generations. And their story is very different than ours, right? They experience more of that, like more overt, hateful racism that happened where they would be punished or other kinds of co bad consequences for speaking Spanish. And so it's just really interesting for me in reading that book that there is a very different experience there. And so I, I know that for us as Hispanics, one of the things that we're really bad about is hating and punishing people who don't speak Spanish, right? If someone has like an American accent or something like that, Hispanics, or at least Hondurans, are very hard on them. Oh, come on. Oh, you're so American. You think you're better than me, blah, blah, blah. And they start giving them attitude. And I'm like, no, we need to embrace each other and build that community so we can help each other get to those next levels. And it's one of those sad things for me. But anyways, I think to wrap it up, I think we, we wrapped it up, right? We need to balance those two. We need to have our roots and know who we are and be ourselves as much as possible. And then practically, we do need to assimilate to be able to function, to be able to succeed and to be able to... Yeah, just not... You don't have to fully assimilate, but just to enough to function. Okay, we solved it. Check. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, I'm going to tell that next time I get pulled over by the police. <laughs> I'm, I'm assimilated, I swear. <laughs> oh, Okay. I know we almost wrapped the episode up, but this reminds me of something. When I was in sixth grade, a little girl came in to the classroom to hand a note to the teacher. And I said some dumb comment, just making fun of her. I don't remember what I said or anything, but I just said, oh, look at what, she, I don't know, look at what, I don't know what I said. Look at what she's wearing, something like that. And someone else laughed and I thought, Haha, I'm, I'm funny. And then someone else was like, shut up, Alex. That's why no one likes you, because you're always making fun of people. And it hurt, right? I was like, oh, like no one likes me? I, I don't know. 
And then I think at that point, that was around the age I started to have my growth spurt. And I like, there's like the stereotypes of the cholo thug people and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, who, who am I going to be? Am I going to be like a bad guy? Am I going to be a gangster? But, and I think I just went to the opposite. As part of this assimilation, I went to the extreme nice guy thing. And I remember consciously at different stages where I'd interact with people, I'm like, oh, let me change my posture. Let me do this in a way so that I don't scare this person. I, I don't want to intimidate this person. And, and as I got taller and bigger and stuff like that, it happened more and more. And I, I've, we've never talked about this, but I wonder if that's something you relate to. Because I, I think of you as a very nice person. And I think it might be something similar for you too, where at some point you said, I don't want to- I'm a black man. I'm constantly viewed as intimidating unless I- I was told point blank by a white woman one time, if I don't wear my glasses and if I don't smile, I look scary. Um, that's just, that blew my mind. I was like, for, for what? Just being me? <laughs> I've had people run away from me just because I happen to be walking in the same direction as them just because they automatically assumed, oh, he's got to be about to be mugging me. I'm not doing, I'm just going home. I had the police called on me for just walking. Okay, a clip from oh, a John yeah. Mulvaney, he had the exact same thing, even though he's like a, a white man, but it's hilarious because, oh, this woman is afraid of me. I, and it, it just never occurred to him that she would be afraid of him. It's just exactly the same situation. I've lived in this city now for a few years, and so I have this new phenomenon where, like, late at night, women will see me as a threat. I'll give you the best example of this. Uh, a few months ago, I was at a subway station at 2 o'clock in the morning. And at this station, I'm changing train, and you have to walk down this long hallway. So it's 2 o'clock in the morning. It's just me and this woman, and she's walking a few yards ahead of me. But she keeps giving me the over-the-shoulder, and then she starts to pick up the pace. So I think, oh, she must hear the train coming. <laughs> Or, you know, maybe she feels it in her feet. So I start to sprint down the hallway at her, and she looks back and she's like, ah! And then she gives chase. So now we're booking it down the corridor at two o'clock in the morning. I'm gaining on her, and we're getting to the end of the hallway, and she starts to go into that like dead end shuffle, you know? I'm almost at her, and then it dawns on me. Oh, she's running from me because in her eyes, I'm an adult. Yeah, you always have to feel like you're trying to overcompensate to not be threatening, so to speak. And I guess that's another form of that same assimilation to be functional, right? You gotta be, we gotta assimilate yeah, enough exactly. to not scare people so that they don't call the police on us. Check, yeah. we solved it. Yeah, and not only in terms of not have the police called on you, but also like in terms of professional settings. I remember I had a meeting one time with an ambassador, a US ambassador. He was also African-American as well. And we were having a conversation and he was asking him for advice and tips in terms of career growth and professionalism. And you've achieved so much in your life and your career. I really admire that. I want to get to that level as well one day, what kind of tips and advice you'd give me. And he said, the biggest thing that he could tell me is that as a black man, my experience is going to be very different from what everyone else experiences. And he's, it's unfortunate to say, but the biggest thing that you're going to have to focus on is to always be mindful to not appear threatening, not appear like you're the angry black man. You always have to be mindful of the way that you phrase things. And if you disagree with something, again, it's a little bit more challenging on how to express your disagreement. So you're not viewed as contrarian or angry or disgruntled on all these other negative stereotypes. And it's a constant battle. And you have to constantly be always aware about how you're presenting yourself because it sucks, but he said, but there are 
natural stereotypes at play and that impacts how people view you and how they will work with you and how they'll interact with you on a regular basis. So there we go. Yeah. That's also why entrepreneurship in your community works so much easier because you don't have to go through all of that. It's a lot smoother and it's a lot easier. You already establish a little bit more level of trust with other people that are similar to you. Absolutely. Well, folks, thank you for tuning in. We really hope this is helpful. Again, we're still having these timeout conversations where it's a little bit more just Aziz and Alex rapping. We're continuing the interviews too to contribute to to try to find that valuable content and we want experts to come through. If there's any particular angle or asset class or anything that you want to suggest that you want to see more of, we welcome that. We'd love to to get introduced to people who you think should be on the show. And we just thank you for tuning in. Thank you. We'll call that a wrap.